to see you guys. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray, just as Pentecost, that there would be an outpouring of your spirit in this moment. That just for a moment in our week, heaven and earth might come together and we might experience that. Jesus, speak through me that we might see you coming to us clothed in your words and clothed in scripture. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be jumping back into the book of Ephesians today, starting off in chapter 3, verse 20. So if you have a Bible, open them up to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to have some of the ushers that are going to be coming by. They'll give you guys a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, just take one of those, write your name on it. That's our gift to you guys. So we are going to be picking up and continuing in the book of Ephesians. This is the last half of chapter 3. And it is going to be the continuation of the prayer that Ricardo had talked about last week. So, again, my name is Jake. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm our student pastor as well and work on campus at ASU. I've um, been thinking about lately a lot about summer camp for students because our camp's coming up. And, uh, yeah, a couple of you guys. Yeah, going. Three. Love it. Um, I've been to a church summer camp one time in my life. And I was thinking about it the other day because I could imagine and remember probably a few things from that summer camp. It was probably when I was 12, 13 years old. And the things that I remember were not the teaching. Um, I remember we learned how to play the game of spoons, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever as a kid. And then the other thing I remember is that we, every night we did worship for like three or four days, right? So imagine 12-year-old Jake standing in this, like, stadium filled with all these other kids, and they go, okay, now we're going to sing. And I was like, you want me to sing in a room where people can hear me? No. And so night one, no singing. I was like, kind of looks fun. Night two, maybe test the waters a little bit, like, for the parts that are really loud. I'm like, ah. and then quiet, right? But night three, something happened. I just started singing. I kind of just had this moment where... Where I was at as a young man in my life, even though I honestly couldn't articulate the gospel, I barely knew how to talk about what it meant to be a Christian. I wouldn't even say at that point I fully believed. I started raising my hands and singing because in that moment I got caught up into something that was really awesome and really beautiful. And I can't tell you how many times, this will be the fourth year I'm taking students to summer camp, and every year it blows me away. There are students, there are some of the high school kids in there and these are some of the kids who, as I'm teaching, falling asleep, they are, if I ask, like, hey, like, what do you think about that? What do I think about what? <laughs> and yet, night one, maybe not, can't necessarily sing. Night two, maybe see some body movement. By the last night, I am watching these young men and women raise their hands in worship, moving around, almost ready to dance, singing out their hearts. Why? Here's why. We fundamentally as human beings were made for praise and worship. That is what makes us a human being. In fact, I got a quote for you guys I want to throw on the board. There is no real full existence that does not in some way honor, admire, or look up to something. That is what makes us human beings. 
being able to admire, to adore, to put our praise, our awe out towards someone or something other than ourselves. That's what we live for. That's what we're made for. You can do this in a religion, but you could do this to a person. You could do this to a hobby. You can put your admiration honor towards something else. You could even do it inward on yourself. But the Bible makes a very radical claim. And it's something that we're going to even talk about within Ephesians today. That only in the praise and worship of the God of Israel, only in the praise and the worship of Jesus, who is the Messiah, is there life. And praise and worship in every other area of life will ultimately lead to brokenness, destruction, and death. So we are at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, which is a big shift, if you know the book of Ephesians, for what's going to come next. The first three chapters, we have been talking about how Paul said, heaven and earth are coming together. God is reconciling mankind. And you know what? Jew and Gentile now have become one person, or not one person, one people who are worshiping together. This is beautiful. This is amazing. And then last week, he says he bows his knees in prayer asking God, I just want the church to be able to get this. I just want them to get the love of Christ that they have. And then here, at the very end of chapter 3, You see Paul, like he did at the beginning of the entire letter, just explode into worship. You can't even tell if he's writing the letter anymore, if he got distracted and he's accidentally writing down like his worship and his singing. But he says in verse 20, let's pick up. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. So in short, we'll throw on the board, this is what this verse means. This is just it for the day. The entire bit of this section means praise God. Why? Because he can do more than we can imagine. How do we know that? By the power of the resurrecting at work in the church. So why would Paul start off like this last bit before he switches into what he's going to say, which is live in a manner worthy of the calling that you have, Why would he wrap it up in praise and worship like he began in praise and worship? I think it's because if you think of the church in Ephesus, like their context, kind of seems to match our own a little bit. Imagine growing up in the ancient Roman world and imagine growing up in the area of Ephesus in Asia Minor and as a young boy or a young girl, you had seen the the temple to Artemis of the Ephesians standing with all of its grandeur and height and glory in the middle of your city. Imagine growing up hearing tales of all these gods and goddesses and powers at work in the forces. Imagine hearing about how Caesar is Lord and no one else. Imagine growing up and that is just your life. Everything you see, everywhere you go, it's in the advertising that you see, it's in the food that you eat, it's in the politics, it's everywhere. Imagine growing up with that and then hearing from Paul, here's the good news, the gospel. And as beautiful as it is, I wonder if some of the Ephesians were not getting to the end of chapter 3 going, that sounds wonderful, but I don't know if I'm necessarily always seeing that. Think about how many times we all have heard in the moments of our life the things of God, the truth of God, the encouragements of God's promises, his words, and yet we hear it in a time where things are going so wrong, so broken, so exhausting in our lives that as much as it is beautiful, we hear it and we go, I don't know if I have the imagination to even grasp that. Heaven and earth are coming together? I don't know. It's hard to see. God has reconciled me and taken away all my sin and now seated me with Christ? It doesn't feel like that when I'm struggling with sin. 
God is making Jew and Gentile into one new, diverse people. Really? Because it's pretty awkward in my small group community anytime we start talking about racial reconciliation. Think about all of the things that the church in Ephesus would have been feeling too, just like us, and yet Paul, as a Jewish rabbi, knew one good thing. We were made for worship, and good worship forms God's people. And so he ends up this section by talking about praise God. Here's why, here's how, but praise God. This is a call to worship and praise. Paul knew the Psalms. I mean, that was something that he would have probably known the entire life. He probably would have memorized most of the book of Psalms. I don't know if you guys are much familiar with it, but it is the prayer book and the song book of ancient Israel. And Lately, I've been reading through it a lot. I had a class that we took in my school, and I decided for this month I'd read through the Psalms as much as I can. And uh, I was talking with Ricardo maybe a week and a half ago, and we were just updating on life. And it seems like not just in my own life, but in a lot of the lives of people around our church, that there's just such a, like, some seasons of life, it feels like, where there's just a lot going wrong, or you're exhausted, Or you wake up, and as much as you know about the good things of God, you can't help feel like you're just in survival mode sometimes. The amount of stories I've heard from people who have either lost children or they desperately want to have, or hearing from some of the single people within the college collective of the loneliness they experience or the frustrations or the challenges and, and just all the things going on in our lives. And I was having one of those days where I woke up and I felt like I was in survival mode. And I knew all the good things about God I could tell to myself, and I, it was all I could do to just, I'm going to go to the rock gym, and I'm going to try to work out. And then I get there, and I can't even do anything, so I'm just laying on the mat, pretending like I'm going to work out, but I'm not going to work out. I'm just going to feel like I did something. And so I'm sitting there, and I had my Bible in my bag, and I grab it, and I was like, I'm just going to read through the book of Psalms. And nothing magical happening. I'm just reading through them line by line, going to the next one, going to the next one, going to the next one. And then I had this moment where I realized something about the book of Psalms that I think Paul knew, but I didn't, I didn't realize. In the book of Psalms, there's this repeating language over and over again, a couple of themes. Israel says, God is the God of the whole universe, our God and no one else. He rewards the righteous and he punishes the wicked. He is the creator, there is no other creator. And yet the crazy thing I realized, learning the other day, is that the book of Psalms were collected and put together in the time of Israel's exile. So here they are, singing poetry, telling stories, praying poems that say, God, our God is the only God of the universe, when they lived in a time where all of the pagan deities of Babylon must have been suffocating. And they prayed and sang those songs, God rewards the righteous and he punishes the wicked when they had watched their city burnt to the ground, most of their family murdered and carried away as slaves. Paul knows that the people of God have always had this beautiful habit, and these are a gift from God, to be able to praise and worship in such a way to where even though everything else doesn't seem like it's actually going the way God says it is, we can in praise and worship and together as a unified people say, no, we know what is actually true. Heaven and earth have been united together. It might not look like it every day, but it is. God is reconciling mankind. It might not feel like it in my darkest moments of sin, but he is doing it. And so praise and worship was his way forward to be able to shape the people of Ephesians. And then instead of teaching them about praise and worship, he just starts going crazy and says, praise God. He did way more than I ever could have imagined. 
Think about Paul. I grew up a Jew, and I knew all the stories of God, and yet who would have thought that Jew and Gentile would be one people? Who would have thought that the Messiah would die and then rise again for the sake of his people to be made new? I never would have imagined it. Never would have imagined it. And so he is worshiping in that moment so that as any good concert, any good movie, listening, we might be caught up in it. We might get caught up in it and go like, yeah, God is good. Praise him. He is doing more than I can even ask or imagine. And the reason that we praise him is exactly that. Why? Because he can do far more than we can imagine. Look in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That word think is not the rational sense of thinking through things. It is actually the word imagine or imagination. Paul's saying God is able to do far more than our imaginations even have room for. But think about this. When I say imagination, what do you guys think about? Okay? Who do you think about? Little kids, eccentric people, creatives, people who make Pixar and Disney. That's what imagination is, and yet that's a bad definition of that imagination. Imagination is the entire process by which we perceive the world we live in. That's what imagination. Our imaginations when we're little kids, they don't eventually die off. We just ignore our imaginations, and then they're open to being shaped by so many outside forces. I have a quote here by Timothy Gombas. He wrote about the book of Ephesians here on imagination. I think it's helpful. He says, imagination is our ability to comprehend, interpret, and organize reality. Our imaginations are shaped by our fears, our hopes, our experiences, our family history, our friendships, and the way we are hurt or praised by authority figures in our lives. It is how we conceive of the world and our place within it. When we grow up, we start to ignore our imaginations or we consign them to certain parts of our lives, not realizing that our imaginations, not our rationality, is the way we live our lives. It's what shapes what you think is going to happen when you go home on your driveway and the fake arguments you might have in your mind about people. Imagination is what tells us whether we should be hopeful or hopeless when it comes to the news that we just heard. Our imagination shapes whether we should be happy or what we should think about who we are, the people around us. This is just how we think of and have an understanding of our minds. And yet by ignoring it, it doesn't go away. It just gets shaped by every other force in the world. So I wanted to just give you guys, I think they're, the, the people who are really good at shaping imagination is advertising. So I wanted to give you guys just like a little, we're going to throw a video clip up on here just to see. It's kind of fun, and I, I'll have a point to make, but.
I'm gonna act that part out for you guys. Hey, you know what, you guys, the, it, the first service was a little worse. There was no sound, so I just had to sing the song for the whole time, and then it was awkward, and so you guys are lucky you got even music. Uh, silly example, I know, like I'm not saying, I'm not going to be like, iPhones are bad. That's not the point. Here's my point. Advertising is really good at this. They show you a 30, 60 second clip, right? You laugh about it, and then you can immediately imagine what it would be like with that experience, item, iPhone, like what it would, what your life would be like if you had it, right? Like how many times have we watched either an iPhone commercial or some other technology commercial, and then you get done watching the commercial and you hold up your old iPhone that you bought three days ago and you're like, what is this piece of junk? I have to press a button to buy stuff? I could be doing this with like my eyes. And if I had the iPhone, I'd be good at dancing, my mom would love me more, and my whole life would be like a music video, and my fashion game would go up, right? It sounds like a joke, and yet, how many times have we bought into advertising's vision for reality? And if even only for a couple of minutes of letting that shape what we think about the world, it is time spent away from using our imagination, our creative, to think about how to serve God, how to be sacrificial, how to care for others, and these aren't necessarily bad things, but it's just a perfect example. Our imaginations are being shaped over and over and over again thousands of times a day by politics, by advertising, by Facebook, by Instagram, by the experiences that we have because of sin done to us or the sin that we do to others, by our hopes and prayers that we've prayed and then they don't come true. How many times our imagination day in, day out is completely shaped in such a way where it begins to actually paralyze us. When we're hopeless, it's because our imagination cannot dream up a good future. When we're afraid, it's because our imagination cannot even see ourselves being safe. When we are depressed, proud, bitter, jealous, lustful, drunk, or gluttonous, it's because someone else besides the God of the universe is speaking for our imagination. That's the sad news, and Paul's good news is we worship a God who can do so much more than our imaginations have room for. It doesn't matter that it's hard to see some days that heaven and earth are being reconciled. It doesn't matter that our imaginations sometimes feel paralyzed by these things because the good news is our God can do more than we can imagine. Think about how many stories and lives have been transformed in the history of the church when it seemed like all was going bad, it ended up going good. I remember maybe a couple weeks ago, my brother called me and he's like, hey, I just got baptized, I rededicated my life. And that was amazing for me because I remember starting off my Christian journey by praying in my dorm room in a moment of loneliness, God, if you fix my life, I'll do the whole Christian thing. It was like an exchange we would do, a deal. And yet, how good is my God and how good is our God that he takes those prayers that are half put together and he makes something beautiful? God did answer my prayer. He gave me faith and opened my eyes to see. And the first prayers I prayed is that my brothers would come to know and love the Lord. And then a couple years ago, I got to baptize my youngest brother. And then two weeks ago, my brother called me and told me that he got baptized. Praise God that he is able to do way more than we can imagine. And this is why the unity of the church is so incredibly important. We need to be together. 
Why? Because we need the radical conversion stories to encourage us and go, wow, that power of the gospel is still available. And then those who have had radical conversions, they need the stories of the kids who grew up in church and have been faithful their whole lives because we all need to hear our God is faithful and he works out throughout the generations. If we are separated, we have no imagination apart from each other. We can only do it through praise and worship together as a people. And that is why we sing the Psalms, we pray the prayers, we hear in worship, listen to the story of God because six days out of the week, you guys are gonna hear a totally different story in everywhere you go. The beautiful thing is that our God is able to do more than our crippled imaginations even have room for. How do we know? Because of the power of the resurrection. Read in the next part. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So this idea of power is something that Paul is obsessed with throughout the book of Ephesians. He keeps over and over again bringing up power, strength and power. Last week, Ricardo preaching had said that his prayer was that they would be strengthened with power to understand what God is actually doing, that they might be filled with the fullness of God. But the first time that Paul actually mentions power is in Ephesians chapter one, verse 19. This is, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Here's how we know and can cling to as a community that God is able to do far more than we can imagine. Here's the how. Because of the power of the resurrection that is still at work in the church. If you have a hard time imagining that God is doing all of this, that he really can reconcile and bring together a diverse people, if it's really hard to imagine that he is gonna deal with our sin on the cross and then unite us to himself, if it's really hard to imagine in this broken world that heaven and earth are being united together, you're not alone. This is like the entire story of the Old Testament and scriptures. Think about Abraham. God promising him, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And Abraham going, I don't even have a kid. And God says, come outside with me. Look to the stars. Can you number them? No. That's how many your generations are going to be. Think about the promises to Moses. God, I can't speak. How am I going to be able to talk for you? I will speak for you through Aaron, and I will be your voice. Think about the promises that were made to David, that were made to the prophets. And one of my favorite stories is in Ezekiel chapter 37. And if you guys want, you could turn there with me. In verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. So imagine this. Here is Ezekiel in the middle of Israel's exile. And Ezekiel growing up, likely seeing most of his family and best friends get murdered or taken away into slavery. 
And imagine that now is he is in a foreign land and still holds that conviction that God is good, God takes him out to a graveyard and it's filled with bones, dry bones, bones that no life is coming back to. I mean, these things are brittle and breaking. And he's walking through this graveyard with God and God looking around tells to Ezekiel, can these bones live, Ezekiel? And I love his response. Ezekiel's response is just such a human us response. It's very safe. It's very heartbroken. He just says, oh, Lord God, you know. I don't. How many times we've had those moments where we've heard the voice of God, either through scripture, through church, through our people, through anything, and the only response we can give is, I, I don't know. And yet it's as if God in that moment says to Ezekiel, your imagination is not big enough. He tells Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And then it's like something out of like walking dead. Like bones are snapping together, skin starts slinking up onto these human bodies and standing there is a whole army of human beings. And then God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. And then the breath and the wind zooms in from all over. It's probably like a tornado, I'm guessing. And here's standing this entire army of living, breathing people. And then God tells Ezekiel, son of man, these are the bones of the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Indeed, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord of God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to hear that good news for Ezekiel. God's going to resurrect us from the dead? And, I, and when I read these stories, I always think, like, what would it be like to actually be there? That'd be encouraging. That would, like, grow my faith. I wish moments like that would even, like, happen for me. And yet, we have something so much better than Ezekiel. We have something so much better than that vision, that promise. We have the resurrection of the crucified Messiah. Jesus is not dead. He has been resurrected and he's been seated above the heavens. And when we have moments where it's hard to even imagine that God might do something great, that he actually will bring about reconciliation, that heaven and earth are being put back together, look back at the resurrection of his son and then say to God, is there anything that God cannot do? If he can resurrect his son from the dead, is there a limitation on how he can bring about his own glory, his own good story, and things to actually get put back together and be good? No, the power of the resurrection is the work at, in the church that we can look to and go, I could praise God even when it looks like it's a disaster because he promises he will bring about good and he resurrected his son. And I have something far better than Ezekiel and better than Abraham and better than David. I can look back to his son and know he didn't resurrect from the dead and then die and it was a cool story. He is seated at the right hand of the father ruling and reigning over all history, amen? That is the God we get to worship that is the God we get to praise and get to sing. And good worship and good praise, and when I'm talking through like even like singing and telling stories to each other, it always does God's story. Why? We need to hear it. We need to hear it because we have our imagination shaped in so many other ways. And so here is a couple of implications that I had thought through just from these two verses today. 
Our response should be a response of praise, a response of repentance, and a response of prayer. Praise is the obvious one. That is Paul's whole heartbeat. He wants us to, in reading this, get caught up and go, yeah, God is good. It might even be hard to see it, but I'm still going to sing it. Because maybe in my singing, my heart might be shaped up to actually believe those stories. My God is good. And so we are called to just praise God, not just in our singing on Sundays, but in every avenue and aspect of our lives, find ways to tell each other stories of what God has done. Remind ourselves of the stories of what God has done in the scriptures. Singing psalms and hymns to one another to encourage one another. The second one is repentance. So we got praise and we got repent. We all, as the body of believers, need to constantly be in a mode of repentance for the amount of lies and other visions that shape our imagination. We need to over and over again recognize, call it what it is, lies that shape our lives, whether it be advertising politics, whether it be how we go through social media, whether it be our own experiences, whether it be the things we're going through in life. We all need to repent and go, God, I'm not going to believe that this is the way the world is. It doesn't matter if it looks like it or not. I'm going to believe what you've said to be true about the story of the world, which is heaven and earth really are being united. The last one, prayer. This is a call for prayer. And I think it's one of the ones that reminded me of Jesus in the Gospel of John where he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There's glory again. It says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. It's one of those verses where you read it and you go, that can't be really true, can it? Anything, I can ask God anything in his name and he will do it. The whole thrust of this passage in Ephesians and Jesus given those promises is that as the people of God, we would boldly pray prayers, not prayers where when they come true, we go, well, maybe that could have happened anyways, but prayers that put God on the spot to show up. We as a people, what would it look like if we prayed the crazy prayers of like, God, if you don't do this, nobody else can. And yet you have called us to respond to your promises that you will do anything for the sake of glorifying your name. You know what God is glorified in? Our praise, our worship. And so why wouldn't we pray that he would bring about good story endings and healings and forgiveness and redemption so that we might, in seeing those stories, lift up our voices in praise, amen? Would you guys bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the big, grand, beautiful story of the Bible, the story of the world. And I know there are people in our church, in this room, who are hearing so many lies about what the world is supposed to be like. And I pray today that you break them free of that. I know there are so many of us who are discouraged by the brokenness within our own hearts, our own families, our own friendships. And I pray that you might, by your spirit, bring about good news. And I thank you for your son. I thank you that our hope rests in the resurrection, nothing else. And so we can put hope into the fact that you, God, have resurrected your son from the dead. There's nothing your mighty arm cannot do. And I pray, I pray that you'd speak to us all, Lord. I pray that you would teach us even how to pray. And I pray that you would show us how to love you 
close to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.